Hello and welcome to the IQ Meets EQ podcast. It's Jackie Broman here, Principal Solicitor of TBA Law and CEO of Legally Wise Women. And today I'm here without Bush, unfortunately, because I just could not pin her down with all her busyness. She's picked up a new client. She's been running a workshop. So here I am. And it's a pity because this episode, I really wanted to get her debrief, but she'll be back next episode. This one was really interesting because early on in the year, I'd been talking to Ush about my change in my role in TBA law and becoming less and less in operations as the team grows and more and more as a coach of my own team. And this is exactly what my guest had spoken about last year. So it's funny how all these parallels sort of arise and now I've been able to get her on to speak. So Carolee Fontanelli, who was a former guest as well, brought on Midja Fisher to be a guest speaker in her program, the Scalable Business Program. And Midja just really spoke the language and articulated what I really needed to hear. Midge is a leadership expert who is passionate about inspiring lawyers to become great leaders. She's over 20 years of corporate experience, both as a lawyer in a law firm that grew very quickly and then also becoming a learning and development specialist. So she was a former partner in a national law firm and She's the author of a number of books. The one that I first got introduced to her through was Take Off the Cape, uh, Super Hero to Super Coach. And the other book that I've gone back to read is her other one called Great Lawyer to Great Leader. So let's have a listen to the conversation. I'm so keen for this. Midja, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I am fantastic. Thank you, Jackie. Yes, your energy is always so amazing. I've been really looking forward to this because I was introduced to you by a former guest, Carolee Fontanelli, who is just a powerhouse as well. And I think you take it to the next level a little bit. (laughs) But I want to, before we dive in too much, take it back in time like I do with all my guests and start with what did you actually want to be when you were growing up? Yeah, great question. I think, and looking back now, I'm like, why did you think this? But I actually wanted to be a politician. Wow. So, yeah, I think from a very young age, I was always told that I had the gift of the gab, Hmm. that I could persuade and influence. And I became aware of that. I became aware of my magic. I talk a lot about people's magic and, and gifts that you're given. And I was just lucky enough to become aware of mine very early on in primary school when I was so super excited for show and tell, like so pumped in like grade two and three, I couldn't sleep for like three days because I was getting in front of the class and presenting. And meanwhile, in the schoolyard, all my friends were like, oh, I can't believe we have to do this. And they were like, no one wanted to go out the front. And I'm like, I've got this. I'll take the class for the day. So I learned that I could speak and that I could influence and persuade through that. And so my grandfather, my pop was a very big influence in my life. He was a writer, sort of a man before his time. And he very much encouraged me as a young girl. He said, I think you've got a a future in politics. 
He goes, so do law, he said, because most politicians are lawyers. He says, I do law firstly and, and get a grounding in that. And then federal politics will be what you do, Midge. Oi, Melinda. Wow. Not Midge back then, but <laughs> fancy me, Jackie. Imagine me and my character in politics. No, great. Mix it up. Independents are going to do so well this next election, maybe in four years' time in the Senate, something like that. <laughs> never say never, right? <laughs> yeah. One for Mitcha. Yes, yeah. I must admit for a very brief time in the 90s there, I also had the aim of being the first female Prime Minister, but that's done now, so oh well. <laughs> something new. Mm -hmm. All right, so the seed was planted about doing law, but you didn't go straight into law, did you? So during high school, when it became apparent that I had reasonable level of IQ and could perform well at school and, and academics, my dad was sort of like, well, you should either do law or medicine. And my grandfather's, you know, his words were in my head as well about law. And medicine seemed like it would just take too long to do. And I thought, well, speaking and law, and maybe if I even didn't go into politics, I would go to the bar. So let's do that. And my dad then said to me, well, I hear that you should really do two degrees and you should do a double degree because why would you just go to university and do law when just one more year and you can come out with two? And I'm like, well, yeah, and a lot of extra work, dad. Uh, who was a coal miner and went to school to grade six, you know. So anyway, that next generation are wanting more. Yeah, very proud of you. What he considered mm -hmm. to be more. And so I did IT and law at QUT. Yeah. So I did a, right. a five-year double degree in those two things. And I think 20 of us started the double degree and I think three of us graduated with both degrees. And in the IT space, and I'd, I hate to admit this, but, you know, I was long-haired, blonde, young woman with blue eyes. And, I mean, I twinkled those eyes in that IT lab a lot. I was the only female there, wasn't very good at coding and just had to play I'm not sure this is working and people would do my assignments mainly for me. So that's awful to admit on a podcast, but it happened. That's how I got my IT degree. <laughs> Use your strengths. <laughs> I used my strengths. What can I say? Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. So that's where the IT plays in then because did you start in a firm in the IT department? Yes. So I... At university, I assume they still kind of do this now, is the all of the big firms and the big consultancy firms come and interview in that final year. So I was offered a place at Pricewaterhouse. It was Pricewaterhouse Uric back then, and I'm showing my age, but that's what it was back then. And big money, you know, like big money. And they said, our training center is in Florida. So you have to spend three months in Florida and we'll give you accommodation and a car. And, and I'd never been overseas. I didn't even have a passport. So I was like, oh man, if this company wants me, and I didn't know much about those big consultancy firms, but they seemed very impressive. And I'm like, they want me and I get to travel a bit. And this is a great opportunity and great money for a grad back then. And so I just said, 
yes, and packed my bags and went over to Florida. And yeah, it was just a, a great experience. Met my husband, who's now my ex-husband, but met him. He was one of the trainers in the Pricewaterhouse program. So met him and had a wonderful experience. But of course, culturally, I found out very soon that this was not for me. And I was pretending to be someone that I certainly wasn't to fit in and resigned quite quickly. So, I mean, that's quite insightful. You were, what, in your early or mid-20s that you realised that you were actually trying to fit into a mould? Yeah, I was about 21, 22. And I went, oh, these are not my people. (laughs) What am I going to do? And and I just said, I've just got to go. I've got to quit. And I was in Sydney. And I remember when I resigned, I sent my resignation in or whatever in Sydney. And but I was I was part of the Brisbane under the Brisbane partnership, though, but I was working in Sydney on a big project when I came back from the States because my boyfriend at the time, he was from Sydney Pricewaterhouse. So we wanted to be together and in love and in Sydney. So I asked to be moved to Sydney to work on a project. And yeah, the minute I resigned, I got a, I think it was an email or a phone call from uh, the EA of the Brisbane partner who said, we've just bought you a plane ticket. You need to get to the airport now and have a meeting with the managing partner now this afternoon. Because you can imagine the investment of three months of training like I, I've now got an L&D background and, and fly me to the States and the cars and the per diems and all of that, only a few months later to go, I don't think I like this. This is not for me. Like they were, rightly so, they were like, what are you doing here? This is a wonderful opportunity for you. But I knew, I knew it wasn't me. And I've got great friends and certainly great friends that work for big organisations and stuff and, yeah, fantastic. But it wasn't for me and I knew it. I had to get out of there. So I did. <laughs> Good on you. What next? What next? Well, I just went back home I, to yeah. mum and dad's and they said the same as you said. What next? What have you done? You were with one of the, one of the biggest consultancy firms in the world who wanted you, who saw a future for you, and you've gone, I don't think so. And so I said, I think I'll give this law a chance. I'm going to give this legal career a chance. Maybe I'll be a lawyer. I found out then what they paid article clerks. It was a quarter of my salary, one quarter of what I was being paid for price. I'm like, oh, this isn't good. This isn't great. But I thought, you know what? I don't like IT. I don't think I like IT. So what I luckily I did two degrees. <laughs> so let's do law. Let's give law a chance. And I just happened across this tiny little job ad in the Courier Mail one Saturday morning for a law firm called Shine Roach McGowan. I knew nothing about them. I didn't know what they did. Rocked on up to the interview and Steve Roach, uh, who is, has been a, a huge part of Shine's history and, and certainly one of the founding partners, one of the great leaders in my career that I've had the opportunity to work with, He interviewed me. It was a very short interview. And he said to me, he said, so you were working for Pricewaterhouse, huge thing, this salary, all of this. And he said, you just quit, resign without any job to go to, without any prospects. 
And I said, yes, that's what I did, Steve. And he said, perfect. Can you start on Monday? <laughs> and that's Steve's thing. That was, that was, and I, and you know what, from that first conversation with him, I'm like, these are my people. This, because my dad, my dad was like, no one's going to employ you because, you know, you only gave it nine months and you resigned without a job and that's irresponsible. And I thought, no, someone will see that as a strength. Someone will, and Steve did. And I was like, man, oh, man. And and I stayed 19 years. So I knew. Good investment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How big was Shine then? Oh, I think there was about probably, I don't know, maybe 20 people in Toowoomba and about six of us or so in Brisbane. And then when I left, I don't know, 800 or so. Yeah, that's right. That's huge growth over that period. But to join at that stage with about 30 to 40, like just so much momentum and everyone's like on the bandwagon of the whole cultural things, I guess, so much easier to control culture at that point, at that size as well. Yeah. It was just a dream. I loved it. And, you know, everything I do now and and just the experiences I got to have, and the leadership which I was under, and not every leader, not every manager, of course, through my whole career, but more or less, I was just given so much opportunity, so much stretch. I was invested in, and I just got to see how something grows like that. I got business experience and business acumen and you know leadership and I don't know, it was just everything. I couldn't have asked for a better training ground kind of to yeah. experience law and leadership and business and growth and and that it, it just all sort of fell into play. Yeah, yeah, it does sound very exciting. I wish I could emulate it with my own little firm. One you, day, you maybe. Mm. <laughs> you can. And, you know, I just loved it so much and I got, and that's why for me, and you'll hear me talk a lot about the concept of thank God it's Monday. Because that's how I felt. That's how I felt is Monday morning when I woke up, I was like, yes, yeah. And I just speak to so many people in corporate that don't wake up on a Monday morning with that type of excitement for the week ahead. And I'm on a mission to make that happen. And to me, it starts with great leadership. You get great leadership in our organisations and people want to show up and people are excited about showing up. People understand the contribution they get to make and they get to hang out with their people. Yep. And are challenged and supported and pushed, but not overwhelmed and all those things that a person who's intelligent wants to have. Yeah. And it's doable. It's it to mm. me, And I know people think that I'm all, you know, oh, mid your mission statements like, idealistic and I am idealistic I get that but I do in I wouldn't be doing what I do now if I didn't think in my heart and up here in my mind rationally as well that if it wasn't possible because I absolutely think it is possible to create that environment for people in corporate 
So 19 years at Shine, during that time, you moved more and more out of operations and more into training and leadership stuff. So, so when did, how did that transition happen? And was there a line in the sand where your role went and your actual title changed? And how did that work? And all the things that I want to ask about your value as, you know, previously being a lawyer and putting a different hat on and how do you actually feel like you're contributing (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was I think it's it's more of that piece around you know using your magic knowing what your magic is and looking for opportunity to just ease into that space that you want to be in like people say there's no role for me like I don't know what my progression is I don't know I mean people don't I don't know why I do those voices I do lots of voices no one talks like that but I do these voices. I don't know. It just amuses me if no one else. But I say to people, oh, my God, you need to create that for yourself. You need to find a space, same in business, right? Find a space, find a need and put yourself in that space. Use your circle of influence and just do that. And you know what? Then suddenly, and this is what happened to Shine, suddenly people go, Mitch is training everyone. Like, Mitch, what is she doing? Isn't she running the Gold Coast office? I thought she was running the Gold Coast office. So, uh-uh. And what we did, and I don't know whether I'm telling tales or not. It was a long time ago. Who cares? But I we were, I just under the radar. So, you know, with the HR team, because I had billables, you mm. know, I had billables, I was running a Gold Coast office. I had you know, 20 people there that I had to run and manage, and I had my own files and clients as well. Mm but I had a passion for developing others and, and even inducting people to the firm and, and leadership and coaching and, and dealing with sort of organizational issues and stuff like that. So we just didn't tell anyone I was doing it. So which is under the, I just did my work over there and made sure all that was humming along. And then I just did more of that and then did more of it and then did more of it. And then it kind of morphed to, okay, well, we might give you less files because you're kind of doing that. And then, yeah, I stepped out of managing the Gold Coast office and then into the centralised roles within the firm as it got larger and larger. And I know that's tough because I'm a partner. So, you know what, you can charge me out at a big rate. We know that for law firms, like if partners are working on stuff, we can charge them out for more. So again, this is what I loved is that the leaders saw, the managing partner saw that I give more, I give more value and add more by influencing our, our other lawyers to do their best work. Uh, so it, it's, it's short-term kind of thinking versus long-term gain. Yeah. You've just, you've, yeah. And, and even now, of course, the organisations I work with, that's how they think, long-term gain. You know, otherwise, why develop our people? Why spend money on leadership development and coaching and mentoring and, and strategic planning and thinking three years ahead? And, like, well, it's short-sighted if you don't. And, you know, you can burn out your lawyers and you can do whatever you want short-term or let's invest some serious money. Um, and that's internally, I suppose, what Shine did with me is to take me out of operations, out of billing and put me in a role that, I was, you know, part of a cost centre. Yep, and they could see the return and it may not have been immediate, but it certainly contributed probably to the growth and the culture and the good people that are there. 
Absolutely. And it's still now there's like events and stuff that I'll go to or something and someone will come up and an ex-shiner will come up or maybe they're still there and they come up to me and they go, Mitch, <laughs> like that course or that thing was just, yeah. and that, you know, like from, I'm just like, yeah, a bit of feeling. Oh, mm. yeah. Mm. And, and it was all about, it was all about, very even very early on, which is now a very, I suppose, normal, uh, is treating people as a full human being. Yes, funny and, that. <laughs> yeah, and that you know, if we yeah. take care of people and their personal development and the relationships they have at home, and and we teach them skills, just life skills, if we do that for our people, um, then they're just going to be they're going to be happier at work. They're going to be more productive. Bottom line is they're going to make us more money. And I know in the business, it is, I run a business. It's bottom line, it's profit. We get that. But the crazy thing is the better we treat our people and the more we invested them, the bigger the bottom line is. I mean. Yeah. Mm. It brings us around then to the book, your latest book that I read, yep. Take Off the Cape. And my co-host, Ush, doesn't know that I've brought you on. In fact, a couple of episodes ago, she said, oh, my God, your team's getting to the point where you are going to just be spending your time coaching your team and not be in operations. And I'm like, she'll hear this episode and this is exactly what it is about. I, I'm religiously reading your book over and over because I am doing it right now. Excellent. Tr- consciously taking off that cape every day yep. to actually coach the team to build brilliant lawyers rather than showing, just doing it for them and, yep. <laughs> and making people that can't do things for themselves. Yeah. Tell me about how hard life can be when you're a superhero rather than a super coach. Yeah, well, I just think, you know, people start resenting leadership mm-hmm. and, and, and being a manager and they start saying, this is too hard. Like, mm-hmm. I, I didn't sign up for this. I don't enjoy this. I don't. And, you know, they burn out in those leadership positions and, Again, part of my mission statement is to get people to love leadership. That's what I'm about is to, for people to go, actually, this is a really cool gig that I can make a huge impact and difference in people's lives and their lives of their partners and their families and everything because that's how they're going to show up. But it is absolutely around shifting the mindset, whole new set of skills, And for a lot of people who have been very good at being lawyers or accountants or engineers, or I've got a new client who's, they're scientists, they're vaccine scientists. That's a new client of mine I started with a couple of weeks ago. They're all technical experts and specialists. And a lot of them, you know, are getting into their career a little bit. So, you know, even if they're in their early 30s, they've at least spent sort of 10 years honing their their technical skills and to go and that's not what we're paying you for anymore but thank you so much for all of that study in the last 10 years you've done but now we want to start you from zero again or not zero I mean you need still those technical skills you still need to play the expert sometimes but when we say look now there's a whole lot of new skills 
and new tools and a new approach and some new behaviors and a new way of thinking that we want. Oh, it's very hard, I think, for people to come back down when they realize that they are consciously incompetent at leading people and they know it. They know that I'm not very good at this. This feels, you know, it's like writing. If I'm right-handed, it's like writing my name with my left hand. It does not feel right and I'd prefer to put the pen back in this hand. Well, of course you would. Yeah, easier and quicker. (laughs) Easier and quicker. And But the thing is, is that, you you know, then, but we get that burnout because then we're trying to do everything because there's probably still going to be some clients and some client work that you're going to step in and do anyway, you know, a particular client or a particular tough issue or something. So your expertise is going to be needed. But if you're doing all of that other work and that rescuing work and, yeah, you don't know how to delegate properly and... And you don't know how to give feedback properly. You don't know how to coach and you don't know how to influence art, all of that kind of stuff. You don't have those skills. Then I see a lot of leaders or partners of law firms and accountancy firms doing crazy, crazy hours. Yeah. And a little bit now what I'm finding is, and I I know this is a sign of the times, but, you know, leaders are, they're a bit hesitant around giving constructive feedback. You know, they don't want to lose people. They don't want to, they're like, oh, but if I push them too hard, they'll leave and they'll go and get a job elsewhere. Or, you know, I have to think about their wellness and their mental health. And, you know, all good points. I get all of that. But I just, uh, I keep reiterating, I think, to, to leaders is that feedback and coaching and mentoring is not to punish people. It's not to, it's exactly the opposite. And if we just shifted that whole mindset to, I love you enough to give you feedback. I value you enough. I think so highly of you. And I want you to really, really succeed in this role. So this is what you need to know. You know, so when this happened, this has happened, you need to do that. This could be better if you did that. Who doesn't want that? You know, it's 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 a reframing. And, and I think I'm seeing lately in the last kind of year or so, more so than ever before, a real hesitancy to have the tough conversations and to give the tough feedback. And I get the reasoning behind it, but I kind of think we need to push through it because otherwise we're just going to get more and more people that are more and more dependent. And I don't know, you want to be doing different cool stuff. I wanted to be doing different cool stuff in a year or two, doesn't everyone? Yeah. So it's really important to take off the cape. Stop being the superhero. Stop wearing the undies on the outside and instead go for longer-term gain, which is going to mean coaching. Even when you know the answer, you're like, duh, I could tell them this in 10 seconds. You just got to create that space and sit with it. And that that slowness, that, that, that pace that has to come down, that slowness that it needs, that, again, is difficult with the fast pace of everything else that's happening in business when we have to slow down to coach. It, it's, it's, it's a different energy and we've got, to kind of, we've got to kind of change that. One of the biggest things I think in leadership is sometimes slow it down, people, in lots of different aspects and, you know, some of the decision-making and delegation and coaching and communication, slow it down and, and repeat and repeat and repeat. 
Yes. And that's, yes. <laughs> that can be frustrating, particularly for leaders that want to go at a certain pace. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, what do you say? Repeat until you're mocked about it. Yeah. Repeat until people start rolling their eyes going, here, she's banging on again about this. Yep. Then you know you've said it enough. Now, I know that from reading your book, you know, having some good questions and checking in with yourself with your questions and journaling perhaps semi-regularly is a good practice. Are there any other little practices you do to keep yourself in check, aligned, focused, and self-aware? Sometimes I joke that I think sometimes I need to limit my self-analysis and self-awareness. I I think sometimes I'm on the other end of the spectrum where it's like, Mitch, I think we've thought about that enough now and we need to move on and just do something else. But very much, you know, I'm very much of that, that, you know, a couple of uh, that concept, yes, questions like, you know, Tony Robbins obviously speaks a lot about power questions. Marshall Goldsmith talks about triggers. So absolutely creating space throughout the day and those little moments, Dr. Adam Fraser, he talks about them being the third space. So between the first space, so for instance, right now, the, the first space is I'm doing this podcast. The second space that I'm going into will be I'll be jumping in my car and picking up my daughter from the gym. So in between finishing the podcast and seeing my daughter is the third space. And what we do in those gaps of what we do is where the magic lies. And so to reflect on, okay, what do I take out of that podcast? What do I learn about myself? What do I, what would I do differently? What's the takeaway from that? Can I use something in that? Resetting. So giving my chance and opportunity to breathe, reset, and then to think about the next space I'm going into. So I'm going to pick up my daughter. It's going to be, I haven't seen her today actually yet because I left for Brisbane before she was up. So how do I want to move into that next space? So I, I, I those little moments kind of throughout the day are really important. Yeah, that's wonderful. Lots of space or a bit more space. And that third third space you're talking mm. about, Yeah, it's almost like what Tony Robbins says around priming as well, because you're consciously thinking about what you want to show up as. Yeah, really good. Yeah. You you also mentioned that yourself, like in your books. Absolutely. Yeah. Be consciously showing up the way you the way you want to be and the way you think you should be instead of just being reactive. Yeah, absolutely. And bringing, you know, the rest of the day and everything like that into it just yeah, asking some questions, creating some space. Absolutely. Like I just had, for this podcast, I had a Queensland Law Society council meeting. So I had only probably, you know, 10 minutes space. But, yeah, sort of got into the headspace, thought about what is it you want to bring, what's the energy like for this, and consciously making some choices around that. And sometimes in corporate, I see I see people turning up to meetings and or presentations. I'm like, you haven't consciously thought about how you want to enter this room and turn up because you're like a whirlwind, and that's not this is this is not a great look or great impression. So certainly being conscious of that. Mm. Mm. Wonderful. 
Well, thank you for bringing it today because you certainly have. Where would you like to send people to to check out more about you, to find your books and programs and working with you as a leadership coach as well? Yeah, perfect. I think the best place to go is just the website, which is midja.com.au. If you Google Midja, it's M-I-D-J-A, there's only me which is great for business, not so great for my dating life because people can Google me really easily. So the web car, uh, the, the website has all of my programs. It also has all of my costings and stuff on there. I like to be really transparent about that because I don't want to waste people's time. So I'm like, here's the program. This is the cost of that. Let's talk. Give me a buzz. Let's get on Zoom and have a chat, see if we're the right fit. And also, of course, for all the funs and fun and games and more, you know, deeper connection and personal stuff, Instagram is my fun space where I do stories and, I don't know, talk about all sorts of other stuff. Yeah, wonderful. And fun things. (laughs) Well, being the only midget online, at least you're controlling like all the photos that are showing up. So that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It is It is quite good. But as I said, nowhere to hide though. No, no, no that's right. <laughs> Most people who are working with me or something go, I watch all your videos on YouTube. I listen to this podcast and this podcast. And then I did that. And then I, I know what you had for breakfast yesterday and and even my car, because I have got midget number plates. So I'll be somewhere on the Gold Coast and someone will message me going, are you at the casino? What bar are you in? Or are you here? Where? What are you doing there? And I'm like, oh, no. Like, <laughs> I've got nothing to hide, though. Nothing no. to hide, Jackie. No, not at all. Not at all. Well, look, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. So much to pick out of it. And yeah, I wish you all the best with your coming program as well. Super excited about that. And thank you for being a great example. Thank you, Jackie. It's been great. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. What's really resonated with me in particular that a lot of my skills as being a lawyer haven't really converted across to being a leader. So having a model and really being able to think about how to be a leader and move into a leadership role has been very helpful. I mean, we've had lots of other ladies on the podcast and who have been technicians and then have moved into leadership and management, but I found it hard to correlate across, particularly because I'm in small business and particularly because I'm in professional services. And so I'm not moving into management. I'm still fully in operations as well, but at the same time have to manage and lead without any training. So as I said, really helpful to have a bit bit of a model and to hear from someone who's done it in a fast-growing law firm and how to switch my identity from being a lawyer with all the things that I valued as a lawyer to other things that I have to switch across to be a leader. And they're not necessarily coming as naturally for me. And, you know, Midja talks about, you know, developing your people, having culture, making sure you're getting not just compliance from your team, but commitment and really sets out a way of doing that and talks about the skills of a great lawyer versus the skills of a great leader. And they're almost opposites. So with a great lawyer, 
you know, we focus on our own results. We're an expert in our field. We're really good at what we're doing. We're giving answers. We're solving problems. We're providing advice. We're very focused. We're competitive and we're very stoic. We're very outwardly together, particularly in the face of clients, well, and other professionals, because we always think we're being judged. And so, I mean, those are skills that I've cultivated for a long time. And as a leader, I've sort of been this rescuer and people people pleaser sort of leader, where, as Midja describes it, a superhero. So I would swoop in and solve problems and it wouldn't actually allow the team to grow responsibility or resilience or even to get their commitment because if they're not responsible, then they tend to be a little bit bored. They're not really using their brain and, you know, lawyers and smart, intelligent young people want to be able to use their brain. And so Midja then says, well, the qualities of a great leader opposite from being a great lawyer are to focus on team results rather than your own results, to be a coach rather than to swoop in and solve problems, to ask the right questions instead of giving answers so that others can work out the answers themselves, to provide space instead of advice, so space for people to think and come up with the answers or make mistakes even, and that's okay, to be future-focused rather than present-focused because I have to be thinking ahead, thinking of others' careers, thinking of where we're going in the next few years rather than only in the next 12 months, to be collaborative, to really get input from everyone and to be vulnerable, which is certainly something that I've been increasingly learning through this podcast. So as I said, I've learned a lot from really absorbing Midge's teachings and because I've really related to her background and her language. But there's another little model that I've just come across. And again, as I've said, you know, having models has really helped me to think about leadership because I haven't had any formal training in leadership. And I've recently been introduced to a dreaded drama triangle, which sounds a little bit like Midge's superhero leader. So uh, the dreaded triangle is an upside down triangle with your team or a certain individual at the bottom of the triangle being a victim or being unempowered with basically no responsibility. And the two top corners of the triangle are the rescuer and the prosecutor. So I very much sat as a rescuer in the superhero role and not really allowed the staff to take responsibility And, you know, it does go both ways. I probably haven't allowed them to step up because I've always swooped in and rescued. But at the same time, I also haven't seen it very much. But, again, probably because I'm getting in the way. And so the reverse of the triangle where the point is actually at the top is where the individual or team has responsibility and they are responsible for outcomes and me as the coach or the leader are the two bottom points of the triangle at the base. So I'm providing a foundation, I'm providing a coach and a challenger. So to guide and ask the right questions, 
and to challenge them when they're not necessarily going in the right direction or also to provide that tough love element rather than criticize or blame to really shake shake them out of falling back into the victim mode. So it's another two models that I'm starting to play with along with Midge's teachings and really wanting to experiment and apply these over the next few months as a way of myself learning to be a leader. So there you are. I hope that's really helpful. If you have some leadership tips for me or you want to share your own theories or progress or doubts towards leadership or your own fears, you know, I'm very much on the journey with you. I'd love to hear your feedback and, you know, masterminding these sorts of things can sometimes be really, really helpful. I post the podcast episode on LinkedIn, which is a great place to start a conversation. You can find both Ush and I there, as well as Midja, and also posting this onto iqmeetseq.com.au. And if you want to reach out to me directly, the great place to do that is Jackie at illegallywisewomen.com.au. So Ush will be back next episode and really looking forward to bringing you more guests and having deeper conversations and debriefs about it all. Talk to you soon. Bye.